Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with Mike Gowan, president of Milestone Publicity in Nashville. Milestone teams with clients to generate awareness in the media to effectively promote their brands, singles, albums, tours, and much more. We're discussing educating potential customers, how to deal with nightmare situations with clients, and the difference in repping an emerging artist versus an icon. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Get your pen and paper and get ready to take lots of notes. Hey everyone, I am hanging out with Mike Gowan with Milestone Publicity here in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you today, sir? Doing good. Thank you for being on the show. I'm very yeah. grateful. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So um, I haven't got the chance to talk to many publicity agents. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had one or two on the show so far, and um, it's really kind of the lifeblood behind the scenes for artists and songwriters and different things like that in in music because you guys are the ones who get us as artists and producers and writers, you're the ones who get us out in front of people so that yep. people know who we are if we're on magazines or on TV and things like that, correct? Right. Our job is to help build awareness through editorial and, and secured media coverage rather than advertising which is paid you know right how long have you owned milestone let's see so i launched milestone publicity in january of 2019 okay so it's fairly new yeah right before the pandemic perfect time (laughs) a perfect time yeah to start a company you know (laughs) that actually that is a really great time to start a company so and the reason i say that 2008 the you know we had the big meltdown financial meltdown if people remember that for those who do remember that um and that's, that's when I started my business, okay. Edenbrook Music Productions. That's when I started my company. And it launched and took off and, you know, and we did great during that time. So it's an odd thing to think about, but it's really kind of a good time to start a new company when, yeah. when things are kind of odd for everyone else. They are, are kind of scrambling to figure out what to do. Yeah. You know, and new great things can come from that. I also think if you look through history, you know, in economic downtimes or uptimes, entertainment is always there. I think as humans, we need that kind of, you know, escapism. Sure. So we need the entertainment section, though with this pandemic, you know, touring got closed down. So that was, that really impacted a lot of things Mm -hmm. differently than past, you know. Sure. But it's all coming back. Yeah, it feels like it. It's working its way back. And, you know, we keep going regardless, right? We keep finding ways to do things. And a lot of people have still been successful even through 
through the past couple of years, people have found ways to to continue to make a living in the music industry. That's, that's why we do this podcast is to show people that you can do this. In any situation, there are ways to figure out how to do it, right? Yeah. So, um, well, tell us who you are, where you're from, what got you into music and walking down this crazy path that we do in this business? Yeah, well, um, I'm from sunny Southern California. Okay. Born and raised about two hours outside of Los Angeles. And that's where I, I grew up. And uh, really, I think as I look back, what got me into music at the very beginning, rather than, you know, obviously I was exposed to music growing up. My parents were always listening to music, so it was always a thing. Um, but going to see Kiss when I was around 10 years old. You and my cousin would have been best friends. Yeah, seeing, <laughs> seeing that spectacle of that show yeah. and seeing, you know, just the swagger with the guitars and things like that, that inspired me to pick up the guitar and learn how to play it. Okay. Um, that in turn led me to writing music, trying the artist thing. Okay. Um, and then when I was probably... After high school, so somewhere in my early 20s, maybe 1920, I decided to move to, well, I convinced my parents to let me <laughs> and help me yeah. move to Hollywood to go to Musicians Institute. Okay. Um, and I went for their music business program, which was great because it gave me kind of a 10% overview, like a, a, just a, a, a viewpoint into different sections of the music industry and mm -hmm. kind of go, wow, I had no idea what publicity was public relations I had no idea what publishing was so you kind of go okay I see what's going on what the industry is built upon right yeah uh, so I did that and then and then I fell into PR you know and then the journey really kind of takes off from that point so how do you fall into PR well I had to get an internship as part of the music business program okay so you had to actually go get an internship with some sort of music company okay and get uh, a certain amount of credits. Yep. And so the internship I got was at a little boutique music PR firm, and I was there for a while. And then being the kind of achiever personality type that I am, I was like, well, you know what? I don't know if I'm gonna get hired right away, so let me go try to get another internship while I'm still in the program and able to go get that internship. Because in California, at least in California, you have to get uh, credits to be able to intern. Um, so I went and interned for a publishing company. And then, Simultaneously? At the same time? No, I ended the internship with the music PR firm okay. and then went over to the publishing, publishing okay. and got to work in their creative department a little bit and kind of see what's going on there. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually brought in some bands to have meetings, which was cool. Never led anywhere uh, for whatever reason, but kind of got experience doing that. Mm -hmm. And then... I realized I wasn't going to get hired there. And then it gets a little blurry. I think I started working for UPS doing like their graveyard shift or yeah, something. That's where I've done it. Yeah, because I had to make, you know, there was rent due. So yeah. I had to do what I had to do to, you know, make that rent. Sure. So I did that. And then somewhere in there, I also went back to the owner of that PR firm. And really, I said, can we have a meeting? Can we sit down and talk? And my goal was to sit down and showcase myself of why you should give me a job, why you should hire me. I can do this, this, and this, and this. And he took a chance on me. Okay. And so that's how I got my first paid job in the, uh, in the industry. So I'm just curious uh, as far as, okay, you worked, no, I'm sorry, you did the internship with them to begin with. 
and then yep. you decided did did you think they weren't going to hire you or did he just like not really show a lot of interest so that you went to the well, other one i don't remember exactly what it was but i think i had enough data in my head to go there's not an immediate job here I see. go seek something else i got you you know because yeah. mm-hmm. in my mind i'm like i you know how am i going to live out here la it's crazy it's expensive right you know uh, so that's what i did okay so then once you you got yourself a job working for for this pr company mm-hmm. what were you doing for them what was your your job in uh, it was company? really kind of just scouting for talent that maybe we can represent okay um, I think that lasted maybe about, I would say, six months, probably. Okay. And then kind of felt the need that that role wasn't really needed in the company, so it ended. Um, and then, <laughs> this is, it's funny, because we're talking this through, and I'm really having to rack my memory on <laughs> like, exactly okay. the steps that were taken, <laughs> you know, to get to this point. Sure. Um, yeah. Did you have a, some, a well? I was going to ask you um, for those six months. You're out scouting. What does that look like? Well, like, what is your job as a scout for a PR company to bring to, to find artists to rep? Well, kind of similar, you know, in the sense of A and R for a label, trying to, you know, whatever the label might need at that time. Those A and R people are out there looking, trying to find the talent that's going to meet those needs. So the same for the PR firm, mm-hmm. kind of looking, going, you know, what type of bands or artists are getting a lot of media coverage right now, and how can we fill those slots in our company, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when 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 you're doing that, are you going to like? I know in LA they don't really do writers' nights. It's not really a big thing like it is here in Nashville. But yeah, going going out to shows and watching an artist. Um, and then are you just approaching them like after the show and say hey love your show this is what we do I'm a P- with PR company and think that we yeah. can help you guys out like how does yeah, that kind take- of sort of yeah it was basically that it was really there was no firm guidelines on you know how to do the role sure kind of figure it out as you go situation which is good looking back because it was taking me out of my shell and having to go talk to somebody I've never met before mm-hmm. tell them something they probably have no idea what I'm talking about and explain it to them right. and how that could be a valuable asset to yeah. generating awareness for whatever music they might be releasing. Yeah. You know, This is why you need us yeah. to help get you out. So that was kind of my first experience, I would say, probably kind of like almost in sales in a way, yeah. in the sense of you're educating a potential customer on what you know can be done to help them. Sure. So that was, yeah, that was an interesting period. Yeah. So what made you decide to move out to Nashville from... Well, well, there's there's still um, there's probably like ten years between that moment. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're still out. We're still out there. We're still out there. So <laughs> when I when I when I you know got let go of the the small PR firm, uh, I actually on Craigslist found a job being able to be the uh, basically the personal assistant to Stanley Clark, who is a well known multi multi award winning. Uh, jazz bassist. Okay. He was in that fusion group called Return to the, Return to Forever. Uh, that was like in the seventies, I believe, early seventies. And so, anyways, I started working with him. He kind of tried to uh, develop his own little label with other jazz artists. So I was kind of involved in that. I kind of got a little sense of how to help, you know, project manage in a sense, and get things going there. And 
Yeah, I think that one also lasted about six months. We went on the road once, and uh, so that got me a little insight into the touring life, <laughs> hitting the road. We went up the coast, up to like Santa Cruz and, and San Francisco for a few shows, and then came back. So I got to experience what road life was like. I was like, eh, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> so I think <laughs> yeah. looking back, I had these moments of going, that's not for me, that's not me. You know? Sure, yeah, just narrowing it down. Right, yeah, so that was at play for sure. Um, and that lasted about six months, and I got an email one day. I was like, eh, you know, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. Okay, back to looking for a job. Um, and then I think this is where the relationship thing comes in. Um, I forget exactly how. I think, okay, it was somebody who worked at that PR firm that I used to work for. Uh, she got wind of a job at a very reputable PR firm, and uh, they were looking for a part-time assistant. And she vouched for me threw my name in there. And at this point, I was doing hundreds of interviews, anything I can get an interview for. I even had an interview doing, uh, I don't even know what the job was for, but my buddy, he's like, yeah, I can get you an interview for this. It was at um, East West Studios in Los Angeles. I think that's where it was. So I go in for the interview. I have no idea what the heck the interview's about, you know, or what the job is about. And the guy ended up walking out of the interview. He's like, yeah, I've heard enough. He got up and walked out. So I didn't get that job, well, thankfully, because I didn't know what I'd be abrupt. doing. Wow. But point being, I was literally going after any interview sure. I can get, um, you know, to get a job. And so, anyways, that person recommended me for this part-time assistant job at this larger, very reputable, reputable PR firm. And I got in. I got in the door. I got the gig. And at that point, it's funny because you like, after doing so many interviews, you're kind of exhausted. You're like, well, whatever. And then you do that last interview, and that's the one you get. Yeah. Because you probably went in there very calm and relaxed. And sure. Went, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And that's the one I got. Yep. And that really solidified me, uh, you know, to becoming a publicist. So, when you're working this this new job as an assistant, what's the difference in being an assistant as opposed to being a being a scout that you had at your first? Position? Uh, yeah, totally different. Because now you're more, you're in a position where you're watching campaigns in action pr campaigns and you're getting the kind of you're, you're disconnected you're not you know executing on the campaigns but you're helping you're that supporting role for the publicist um so that that's kind of when i started going oh this is real pr this is what's going on you know this is how you represent an icon or this is how more of an emerging artist is being represented and the difference, you know, in those approaches to those campaigns. Mm -hmm. So it was great being an assistant uh, in a PR firm where you can get real hands-on experience and see a lot is just a great opportunity. So it was part-time and then eventually went full-time. Uh, we'll talk more about this as we get into the conversation with Milestone with your company now, but tell us some of the artists that you, do, that you have worked with. Oh, over well, that's years. a long list. Um, that's an extremely your, long your list. Top, your top five, who, some oh, of your big five or six people that you work with. That's difficult. Well, Keep, I could tell you. Be one of them. I could tell you when I started Milestone, the Drys, they're a husband and wife country duo okay. here in Nashville. They were my first official client at Milestone. Okay. And then it kind of snowballed from there. But basically, I was also, I knew when it got to the point of starting my own company, I knew that I was at a point where my relationships were strong enough and my reputation as a publicist was strong enough to where I could do that and I kind of had a, a little bit of a name for myself so people could hire me and right. would hire me. And this is from the previous job? Right. Or yeah, you were I stayed assistant. at that, that job for about 
seven years, seven and a half years. Okay. So, um, so I know that you've worked over the years, you've worked with, I'm just looking around the, the room here at some of the, the pictures hanging. So Kiefer Sutherland, Billy Idol, you've yep. worked with Tommy Emmanuel. Yep. Um, the Rhythmics. What? Well, Dave Stewart we're Dave working Stewart. with now. Okay. I did, you know, I was uh, one of the publicists who worked with Dave Stewart back at the other PR firm. Okay. Um, and then just recently he became a client at Milestone and we're working on his uh, triple vinyl album uh, box set called Ebony McQueen, which is really, really good. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the, the reason I'm bringing this up about who you've worked with because you mentioned repping an upcoming artist versus an icon artist right what is the difference in in repping an artist from and those different levels you know from emerging to well-known to icon like what's the difference what does that look like differently yeah on a macro level uh working with somebody who's an icon you more are in a position of vetting situations um, and then presenting them to your client and giving recommendations on these are media opportunities you should do, interviews you should do, outlets you should be seen in. On the other end of that spectrum, when you're working with an emerging artist, you're really hitting the pavement trying to get people's attention and say, hey, you should really care about this artist. They have a great story, the music's great, and you should really give them a shot for an interview and talk to them mm -hmm. and help tell their story. Um, so that on a macro level would be the difference of the two. Okay. Um, Trying to get more exposure for a new artist and managing exposure for a high level artist. Yeah, you could also look at it through the lens that I'm just thinking about it right now. With an emerging rising artist, you're more of a cheerleader trying to help garner some attention mm -hmm. and some awareness through the media coverage that you're pitching for and securing. Well, on the other end with the icon, you're more of like the security guard, making right. sure who's coming backstage is appropriate to be coming backstage. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. What are some of the hardest things about being a PR person for different types of artists? Like what what's the a nightmare scenario that you find yourself in sometimes that you're that you try to avoid but it's just sometimes things come up and you have to deal with it? Uh Artists missing interviews, and that just be, could be you know a craziness on the artist schedule where somehow things got missed on the calendar and, and they didn't call in or didn't get on the Zoom or whatever the case may be. And then you have maybe on the other end where, you know, so so on that side you're like, oh man, this this journalist or or whoever is going to be upset with me because the artist didn't get on. And then on the other end, you have a situation where the artist gets on, but the journalist doesn't get on. The journalist misses it for whatever reason. And they're like, oh, now my client's gonna be upset at me, you know? Yeah. So those are tough situations. Does that yeah. happen very often that you find out, or is that, uh, just, is that more of a rare thing? Overall, maybe 10% of the time okay. it happens. So not too... For various reasons. Sure. You know, it could and be a tech happen. issue. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah, and I know even for, for you and me, yeah. We were supposed to do this interview a week ago mm -hmm. initially and right. about an hour before I was going to come down here, I got an email saying, I'm so sorry, Mike's got an emergency with a yeah. client. He can't come or you need to reschedule. I was like, sure, no problem. I completely understand that. Yeah. You know, but it's one of those, you know, that's part of being in the business. Yeah. Right. And, and then with what we do, scheduling is very, uh, very important and, you know, especially when you have somebody like a Dave Stewart who we're working with right now and you're really so many people want in the door to talk to him and you're trying to put the best 
you know, use his time so wisely where he's talking to the right people yeah. for the right reasons. Um, and then you're really scheduling back to back interviews and you have to make sure those run, you know, the trains run on time. Sure. Um, so he can get through them all. If he's doing three a day or four a day throughout an entire week. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of back and forth scheduling between the media and yourself getting things coordinated and ready to go. And then you're doing it the same thing with the artist camp, whether it's management or personal assistance and getting everything scheduled. So everybody has a clear understanding of what the interview is, who they're talking to, why they're talking to them, what we're promoting, mm -hmm. you know, all those fine little details go into that. So this is real nitpicky stuff that I'm getting into, but I'm really curious because I want, I want to understand it better. And I want the audience to know for people that want to do what you do uh, or, or what want to work for a PR company, if you're if you're booking interviews for a client and let's say you've got i don't know is six or seven a day you know is that is that average for a big client is that a little heavy uh, it depends on their exact schedule you know, what's going on at the time sometimes i i don't think you do more than six okay you know like you're when, putting out a new album dave's putting out this huge yeah. album you know like what is it what's a typical day of interviews look like for that he could be doing three to four. Three to four, okay. Back to back, yeah. So my question is, um, if you're doing three to four interviews uh, back to back, all the people that are doing the interviews are coming to him in one location as opposed to him jumping around all over town? Or how do you typically try to set something like that up? Yeah, well, it's all the above. Okay. So you'll have Zoom interviews sprinkled okay. in. You'll have phone regular phoners scheduled. Um, or you'll have in-person set. And so with somebody like Dave, you know, we know where he's going to be and we're going to try to get those journalists to come meet him there. To him, them. Okay. Because with somebody who, like Dave, he's he's got his hands on a lot of different projects, not just the project at hand that we might be working on. Sure. You know, he's got a lot going on, so he's doing a lot of meetings. So, like, if we have him in Los Angeles, he's not just doing music press. He's taking meetings with other facets of the entertainment industry, film and TV. He's, yep. So his schedule's insane. So yep. we try to get the journalists to meet up with him. You know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense. That's what I was, that's what I was assuming, uh, thinking was going to happen, but, um, but you never know. And it, you know, it always varies. Sure. Um, I, I want to talk about, so like with Tommy Emmanuel, who is one of the best guitar players in the world, um, and you've worked with him and I'm looking at, at this picture on the wall hanging up here from Guitar Player Magazine, um, the top, the top 50 list, the amazing Tommy Emmanuel. And so you set you set that up. Yeah, you put that so, together. So mm -hmm. I, I want to talk about if you can explain like what does it take as a PR company to put something like that together where you've got an artist that you're working with is going to land on the cover of a major magazine. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? How does how do you put that together? Well, I mean, with that, it was it was an album campaign, um, which was a really great project to work on and. So I'm out there, yeah, pitching for coverage opportunities. Uh, one of my outlets I was going after was Guitar Player Magazine. Okay. And the great thing about is why I wanted that to be hung is because if you actually read the feature, um, the opening sentence from Tommy in the interview is, it was something along the lines of, you know, I've waited 30 years to be on the cover of this magazine. Oh, yeah. So that, as being, being the person who pitched it, secured it, set it up, and brought it to the end of the line, is really, you know, it's like, that's why we do it. Sure. You know, and sometimes after you do it for so long, you start you start losing sight of why it is you do it. Um, 
but that's one example of like, oh yeah, this guy's completely established. Everybody knows he's one of the greatest guitar players around. And so when you get to set that up and you actually brought something to the table that he has been waiting 30 years to do, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, oh yes, that's why we do this. Sure. So that, you know, it's goes, it's an album campaign. So, in, you know, a print publication is considered long lead. So you're pitching for, you know, to be in that print magazine, you got to be pitching it three to four months, sometimes five months in advance of the album coming out. Mm. So a lot of lead time is involved. Yeah. So the way that came about is pitched and got an interview, just a standard interview. Um, and lo and behold, they wanted to turn it into the cover feature for that particular issue, which was their annual acoustic guitar issue. Yeah. So it made perfect sense to have Tommy sure. on the cover. Yeah. So that's one of those cases where you put the legwork in, you know, the pitching, and and then you know you kind of win the lottery. And they go, let's give him the cover. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's rare, but it happens. <laughs> Because there's only 12 covers a year yeah. for certain magazines. Yeah, and how, how many, you know, how many um, people are vying for a cover out of 12? You get 12 shots at it. You know, how many people are vying for that? You know, yeah. at a time. Well, I can only imagine. You know, if you start calculating the people who actually don't really necessarily deserve a cover yet in their career, but they're gunning for it, or they have their publicist gunning for it, or their management gunning for it, you know. So yeah, I can only imagine how many people want to be on the cover. Sure. Yeah. Um, what is your like? What's the best part of being a publicist? Like, what do you enjoy the most about it? Um, I came to learn that working with the emerging talent, I, I love the fact that we're introducing new potential fans to them by setting up this coverage in the media. So. I love that aspect that you're help actually making a big impact on the growth of their career because you're setting up interviews and through those interviews ideally you know the artist or the band is telling a story and their personality is coming through and allowing potential fans to connect with them on that level mm -hmm. to become long-term fans mm -hmm. so that's fantastic when you get to the other end of the spectrum and you're working with somebody who's super established or even an icon um, I look at it through the lens of they've already got diehard fans. They're there. So now what I'm doing is I'm making sure they're aware of this new album that's coming out that they're going to be super excited about. Mm -hmm. So I find the joy in that, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I look at it two different ways depending sure. on the client's level. Yeah. Um, so we, I asked you earlier a little bit, like who, who are some of the clients that you've worked with and we kind of got sidetracked on some other stuff. So I know it's a really long list, but who are a, a few of the big name artists that you've worked with that people would know just in general that you've worked with? Well, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland, obviously worldwide known actor yeah. and musician. Um, obviously Dave Stewart, yep. um, Gabby Moreno, who's a Grammy award winning artist. There's a lot. And then back when I worked at the other PR firm, there's a ton more. Um, and even like when I was an assistant, kind of being on that level, I remember we were working on uh, Black Sabbath's 13 album, where they got back together. I think Rick Rubin produced it. Okay. And being a kid growing up playing guitar, obviously I'm learning Tony Iommi riffs, you know, on the guitar. Yeah. Learning how to play Paranoid and things like that. So being able to be, even though at a very small level involved with that project, 
was really cool. And I remember going to, I think it was the Revolver Golden Gods Awards ceremony. I think that's what it was. Anyways, my boss and I were there with Tony because he was getting an award for something. I can't remember exactly what it was. We're in his dressing room and in walks Alice Cooper. And me, these are like my childhood. I, I grew up on classic rock. Right, yeah. And so I'm in the dressing room and it's Alice Cooper, Tony Iommi. I'm like, oh my God, this is the music industry. Yep. We're here. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of those moments. That's cool. How is it different working for an artist like Kiefer Sutherland versus Black Sabbath? Like, how, how, do, how do you, how does the job different and how you approach, because it's very different musical styles, right? Even with Dave with the, from the, the Eurythmics, yeah. that kind of thing. It's all these different genres that you're dealing with. So we can generalize it, it doesn't have to be, to be them specifically, but just genre wise, how do you approach one genre PR versus another one? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, with those two examples of Kiefer and Black Sabbath, they're they're almost polar opposites in the sense of Kiefer, obviously, A-list actor as well. So yeah. that comes with a lot of other sure. more mainstream media opportunities that, I mean, Ozzy could get, you know, with Black Sabbath because he's kind of at that same level. Um, I, I don't know if it differs so much. I think to what you're saying, genre is what is the difference there. Kiefer is more in that country Americana pocket, Black Sabbath obviously in the rock lane. Um, so you have different media outlets. You have the overall mainstream media to, that they both would work for, you know, mm -hmm. fit into. Yep. And then you would branch it down to, okay, now let's go after Kiefer's got a music video, let's take it to CMT, um, you know, Rolling Stone Country. Now on the other side, you have Black Sabbath, so we're going to go to regular Rolling Stone. We're going to go to, uh, you know, Kerrang. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then you get into like more media outlets that focus on specific genres, mm -hmm. if that answers your question. Oh, yeah, it does. And I mean, I, that makes total sense. I was curious if there was like, I understand, you know, you're going to take it to different outlets. I was just wondering if there's a different approach that you have to take when you're reaching out to people um, for places that where they might overlap. I understand Kiefer and Black Sabbath are, are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. But if you have an, a couple of artists or a few different artists that are, you know, one is pop, one is pop rock, one mm -hmm. is pop country, mm -hmm. they can, they all have their own lane that they're in, but yeah. they all can overlap themselves too because some, so much of that nowadays is just kind of a big conglomeration of things. Yeah. So when you're approaching it from that point of view, you know, do you ha do you have to approach the outlets differently because they're because they can be similar? Do you have to like differentiate? Hey, this person is kind of does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, there's overlap in some situations. Now, pop country, they're I would call that mainstream country today, yeah. right? So they have their lane. Uh, the pop rock and then you just straight up pop. There might be some overlap in media outlets. Um, but then, you know, below just the outlets, you have to look at the actual, and this is kind of where, you know, our relationships with the media players specifically come into play because we need to know, you know, certain journalists gravitate towards certain types of music. So I know a journalist who really loves Americana, so I'm not gonna pitch him on 
uh, a mainstream country thing because he right. it's not going to work. He sure. likes Americana. Yep. Um, so knowing the taste of these specific journalists or these specific editors or even TV bookers and for late night and stuff like that, you gotta you gotta develop an understanding of what they like, what they gravitate towards mm-hmm. to better your odds for them to consider covering your client. Yeah. So are you reaching out and talking to the, the late night talk show people? Yeah. So what do you, that's interesting. I, I want to talk about that because you think about, you think about, oh, well, the booking agent is going to book so-and-so because they're, you know, they're booking all the shows or they're going to book them on the late, late night circuits or whatever. Um, so what is your position in reaching out to late night talk shows and getting your artists involved with them? What does that look like and how do you, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know specifically if booking agents do that. They might. Um, I definitely know, you know, certain managers have relationships there where maybe they don't have PR in place for whatever reason at the time, but right. they feel like there's a need that maybe we should talk to Jim Pitt over at Jimmy Kimmel to see if we can get a booking in there. Um, that happens. And so booking t- like late night TV for performances is similar in the sense of getting into a print magazine. There's a long lead there, so you have to be pitching those TV bookers on a project. Ideally, you know, right now, probably you should be pitching those TV bookers four months in advance of like the album coming out. Mm -hmm. Because the media always wants to be tied to something's coming out or something just came out. They want that hook. So you have to be pitching it that far in advance and they book up that far in advance. So if someone's putting out a Christmas album in October, then you need to be on it now, yeah. Because they're going to start right. talking about that kind of stuff and putting it absolutely, out you know, performances and things like that. It's interesting with you guys having kind of being the gatekeeper that gets or the person that pushes them to the gatekeepers for the late night talk show circuits. Um, can I ask you, you know, how do you how do you approach them? Like, can you can you explain like what the process is to to go about booking an artist on a on a late night show? Yeah. Do, well, they, it, or daytime show, either one. Yeah, it, it's you know, it's a little bit of a dynamic. It depends on the client at hand and certain different scenarios and factors that go into that. Um, like if it's if it's somebody who's not super established, where you can just pitch it and hopefully they already have awareness of that artist. That's that's one level, and then you have artists that are a little below that, and the bookers might not be fully aware of who they are. That's where you become the cheerleader hey, uh, these media outlets have been praising the album. Hopefully you'll consider them for a booking and you have to educate them that way. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they give it a listen and see if it fits. And um, so it's it's a little different. On, on Again, just like everything else in what we do, it sure. depends on the actual client at hand. Yeah. Um, you could pitch for special things with, you know, if one of your artists is a vocalist or a guitarist or maybe a drummer or something like that, you could pitch to have them join the house band, which is different than an actual straight up performance yeah. booking. Yep. When you're doing that, do you typically, do you just pick up the phone and call them because you've got this relationship now? Do you, do you always reach out first by email and say, hey, you know, hey, this is Mike over at Milestone Publicity in Nashville and working with, you know, whoever and pitching yeah. it that way? Or, you know, do you, or do you work your way up from emails at first to you've built this relationship that I can pick up the phone and call them? I'll always pitch with an email first. That way you can include the assets. You can give them yeah. all the concrete details of the project at hand. 
when it's coming out, what the singles are, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then also a lot of the times we'll say, this is the song that they would want to perform. This is the length of the song because the length of a song comes into the factors of, sure. can we make it fit for TV? Right. You know, I yeah. think like Kelly and Ryan, which is a morning show, mm -hmm. they have a specific length that I think is three minutes and 30 seconds for a musical performance. So you already have to know, like, can my client cut the song down and make it work? So usually when we pitch, it's email first, you know, so they have all the details, all the information, they can click through, hear it, or maybe there's a, some sort of performance video of the song to give them an idea of what that song is like in a live setting. Sure. And then you do your follow-ups. I try not to get on the phone too much, unless it's super necessary. Okay. Because we have to walk a fine line between educating these people and annoying them. And once you cross the line and now you're annoying them, you're gonna have a really hard time sustaining a positive relationship yeah. with those people. Yeah, that makes total but sense. But I do pick up the phone as well. Yeah. Sometimes I call people and they go, who are you? What are you talking about? Yeah. You know. That always feels and then good. you then <laughs> then from back in the day my salesman hat comes on and I just educate them on what's going on and yeah you know it always feels good when somebody says Wait, who are you and why are you calling me that's always <laughs> it, your heart starts going yeah. a little bit you're like uh, uh. Oh, and yeah. you feel like you're 14 again mm -hmm. you know like you're starting from scratch and you don't know what you're doing and oh yeah when people they put that tone out it's just intimidating sometimes you know I still have the imposter syndrome for sure yeah even though I basically. You know, from when I set out and I really was like, okay, I'm going to be a publicist. This is my career. From that point to now, I've pretty much done all the things I wanted to accomplish in terms of what I could set up for my clients. There's a couple things um, that I haven't done yet, but for the most part, it's all been done. And with that said, I still have the imposter syndrome of like, do I know what I'm doing? Sure. You know? Yeah. Is this all been luck? Yeah. And I, th I think we all go through that. Yeah. You know? the most successful people in the world, Tommy Emmanuel probably at some point thinks that, yeah. you know, um, I think we just all do it. That's part of being human and right. um, just never feeling like you're quite good enough, even though you're, you can be very successful yeah. for many, many years. And uh, you know, it's just, it's just part of it. So what, what would you, what advice would you give to people that are wanting to either work for a PR company um, maybe if you can explain, explain some of the different positions mm -hmm. within a PR company and kind of what, just sort of a snapshot of what they do. Um, or if somebody wants to start their own company and go out and do it th themselves, you know, do they need to work for someone else first? Do they just go out and just do it and figure it out? Um, like what, what are some of the do's and well, don'ts for you that... Yeah, I mean, initially I would say regardless of what part of the industry you want to work in or you're trying to work in, you have to say yes to every opportunity that's presented to you and make the most of those opportunities that you take um, just because it's going to you know, push you further and further up the road to those bigger and bigger opportunities. Um, starting your own PR firm, I would say proceed with caution. Uh, it's a very difficult business to do. There's a lot of competition. Uh, there's a ton of independent PR firms out there that specialize in music. So the competition is super high. Uh, I wouldn't do it until you've done it for a long time to where you know A through Z, everything there is to know about working 
specifically with talent as their publicist and everything that goes into that and the very varying degrees of artist. Um, because once you get out there into the waters, how are you going to get your first client? You know, you got to have that reputation kind of built in. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say, and I've seen some people go, okay, I'm going to start a PR firm and they don't have any experience, but they think it sounds cool. Um, so it's an uphill battle, you know, mm -hmm. even for me, it's an uphill battle. Um, but like I said earlier, I kind of accomplished everything I wanted to as a publicist. You know, now I can jump into a campaign, no problem. I know what to do instinctually. So what's more important for me at this point with Milestone is hiring people and helping them learn everything there is to learn about it and kind of live vicariously through them when they get their big wins with media looks. I find that more exciting than doing it myself. Sure. You know. Yeah. So within your company, what are the different positions that, that people hold in your company that that you need well i mean so you have it at my level of a company where you know i'm kind of overseeing all the campaigns and you know helping bring in a lot of the clients that we're working with and then you know you have associate publicists who help you on campaigns and can get into the pitching process and help you come up with creative ideas and then you have on the other side you have like an account executive who's more hands-on you know, can jump on a campaign, knows what to do, how to handle it, how to interface with the client on a daily basis. Um, and then, you know, then you have assistant level supporting staff. Um, but the bigger the company, the more responsibilities at hand with running a business. So that's when you have more upper, upper level stuff, like you have your vice presidents coming into play who are backing up the CEO to make sure the actual infrastructure of the business is running. And then, at the same time, executing on client campaigns. <laughs> I don't know if that answered you your go. question. No, but. it does. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I wanted to back up just for a second. Something just popped in my head that I meant to ask you earlier when we were talking about the talk show circuit, because I think that people just in general are curious about this. If if you can answer, and if you can't, just say I can't answer that. <laughs> uh, if it's, no if, comment. If, if it's confidential or something, um, you know. But when an artist goes out and plays a show, they get paid to play a show, right? Well, if you're, sometimes I mean, hopefully that's that's the goal, um, is to get paid for to make a to make your living doing that as an artist. But when you're doing interviews, you know you don't get paid to sit and talk on a phone call for an interview for, with a radio station or a TV show or whatever. Um, but if you're going out and you're actually playing music on a talk show and you're doing a talk show circuit, you've got a new album coming out and you're playing you know, three or four different late night shows and then some daytime shows and things like that. Do the artists typically, do they, are they doing it for free because it's this, their publicity, they're getting it out for the audience to know about it? Do they get paid for that? Or are they trying to put that together with some shows in the area so that they can be compensated and have some stuff happening while they're doing the talk show circuit? How does that, I think people just in general are curious about that when they see mm -hmm. that, see those people on TV playing. Yeah, well, Short answer is kind of yes, um, and the bigger answer is no. They don't get paid to do that. In fact, they have to pay a bunch of money to be on those shows oh. because you have to pay for production costs, you have to pay for union uh, expenses, backline, all these expenses come into play for you to be on the show and perform. At the same time, I think you do get, you get paid a little bit because you're technically talent on the show if you know what I mean. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, 10,000 plus to perform on national TV. Okay. Yeah. See that that's important. I think for people to know. Yeah. So, so as an artist, you're paying at least $10,000 to play, uh, right. Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or whoever. The, the late night shows, the costs are a little bit lower. Don't ask me why. I don't know. Okay. Uh, morning TV, the cost. Sorry, the late night shows, the cost is lower. Morning TV, if you're performing, the costs are higher. Okay. I don't know why that is. It's just what I've experienced okay. over setting these up. Um, and yeah, most artists do not know that uh, until the day comes when they get their first TV booking. Hopefully, they're with a label that's very supportive and wants them to do that TV performance, and they will cover those expenses probably recoup on the back end. Yeah. You know, yeah. but at least they cover those expenses to get on the show. Um, See, I think that's yeah, that's very important for artists to know that that that's got to take that's got to be taken care of, and either you're paying for it, hopefully the label pays for it. But again, like you said, they're going to recoup it on the back end, so it's going to come out of your pocket regardless at one point or another. Yeah. Once you've had album sales, now I will say that were you saying that um, the artist does get paid a little bit because for people that don't know, as an artist, when you have a song played on air on TV, mm-hmm. you're going to get you're getting uh, you're getting paid because your song is getting played on air, right? You know, so the publisher, um, the writers get paid and things like that. So uh, if you're the if you're the writer of the song, you know, then you'll get some that person gets some money, yeah. And the publisher, you're going to get some money and things like that as well. So um, that's really good to know. I appreciate you sharing that, and um, I think the audience in general needs to know that. I think artists need to know that as well, and we just don't think to ask those questions. Sometimes because you don't know it's, that's what it's like. You, right. know, you just don't know until you know. Yeah, and that's, I didn't know until it exactly. happened. You know? And that's why we sit and have this. That's why the show exists. Yeah, is to have these conversations so that people can know and learn these types of things. So that they, I didn't. I didn't learn that in school. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah, and that's you know. Thank you for saying that because I, that's something else I wanted to ask you earlier in the conversation is. Okay, you went to college, or you went to school for, what, what was the name of school again? Musicians Institute. It's more like a trade school kind right. of in okay. it for music. A lot of people go for an instrument. They have a music business program sure. as well. I okay. went for that. So you went to a school to learn about music business, um, and then you got at, into the real world and saw that you didn't learn some of these things in that school. Yeah. How, how different is it in the real world Things you're learning on the job as opposed to the things that you learn in a classroom and they're great music schools are great i've got probably half of my guests that have been on the show went to school or college for music mm-hmm. uh, on some level um, and probably half of them did not and equal success on both sides yeah so i'm all for it and i'm all for not you know it just depends on what path you feel is best for you to do it but for someone who did go and they got out and saw some different things happen. How different is it? Was it for you? Uh, night and day, okay. I would say, especially when you're in a situation where you're actually working with the talent, whether that be, you know, being a publicist like me, or being a manager, or being a booking agent. You know, dealing with talent is its own special circumstance that requires you having to be in the field, analyzing it and seeing it happen in front of you to go, oh. This is how I talk to a manager. You know, this is how I talk to an icon. This is how I talk to so and so. You know, there's 
it's just something you have to learn by doing day after day. Sure. Um, you know, going to Musicians Institute for their music business program, like I said earlier, kind of gave me a 10% look at these different sectors of the industry. Mm -hmm. But I knew that, you know, the door got open, so it's up to me to make the most of it when I go through it. So that's why I took on multiple internships, tried to get in the door at places and observe and see what this really was. Is it for me? Can I fit into this? Do I enjoy it? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not until you do that that you truly learn what it's like to work in the music industry. Sure. What are you looking for as a milestone publicity? What is it that you're looking for when you're trying to bring in new clients? What do you like to have as clientele? Well, I I look at it through uh, it's two different layers. Is one, do I like the music? Will I be passionate about representing the music? And then do I know for sure that I'm going to secure coverage? because I'm not gonna take on a client where at the end of the day, we couldn't put any results on the table because uh, you know negative talk travels really fast. And it's a reputation industry, a relationship industry, so I have to know that we're gonna deliver results mm -hmm. at the end of the day. If, and that could be that the, and it's also very subjective too. You're dealing with people's musical taste. Some things they like, some things they don't like. Maybe the magazine's all booked up. There's no room for them, but they'll consider them on the next album cycle. You know, all these little things come into play with, you know, in terms of actually getting coverage on the table. So I have to look at it through, like, is the music great? It has to be great, period. And then is, the story, is there a story there? Is there a narrative? Is there a time-sensitive angle that we can run with? You know, all these different things kind of come into play. But at the end of the day, I need to know that we can put results on the table. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and giving all this advice and information. Yeah. This has been really, really good. And some, some unique things that I've never talked about before. So this has been a great angle. I appreciate that. Awesome. Last thing before I forget, if somebody wants to hire you mm -hmm. to be their publicist, um, can you give can you say kind of what an estimated amount, like what does it cost to hire you to be a publicist? Well, Is it depends on the scope of the project, okay. right? It depends on time consumption that we're envisioning going into a project. So when you're working with major talent who you know is gonna keep you super busy day to day, there's gonna be a lot of bandwidth being taken up by that client. Mm -hmm. The rate's gonna be higher okay. just because that's how you, you know, because you're gonna probably have to have more bodies on the project. It can't just be one person, you know, handling it. So it's a it's a range, and it could be anywhere from like up to five thousand to three thousand a month, and working on monthly retainer, you know, and it's always attached to a project. Whether that's a tour that's happening, uh, we have clients that hire us for regional tour publicity, you know, to get into the newspapers and magazines of those local areas to help promote the show in advance to get people out to buy tickets. Um, and then you have album campaigns where we're trying to promote the album and get, you know, coverage around that. Mm -hmm. So you can get some awareness and get people ready for this album coming out, listen to the single, share the single, you know, become long-term fans because of the story that you're embedding through these interview features and, yeah. and things like that. And podcasts, podcasts are wonderful too. Um, what what rate size artist would that rate be? A three to five thousand a month retainer be? Is that an emerging artist? Is that a major artist? 
Yeah, you're probably looking at more of uh, a more established artist okay. who you know they're going to be keeping you busy day okay. to day. And yeah. what about if it's if it's a newer artist that's just coming kind of coming out for the it's been around for a little bit but doesn't have a lot of exposure well that's where the empathy comes into play we know that these bands and artists don't have a huge budget mm -hmm. to work with to help you know with their promotion needs so that's where the empathy comes in because you technically you're still working as hard if not harder to get coverage for those up-and-coming acts yeah. because you're educating the media on who they are you're being the cheerleader you're trying to rope people in and at the other side yeah you're pitching you know the icons and the established acts you're pitching them you know to all these journalists and editors but it's a little easier to get the opportunities and then you're vetting the opportunities mm -hmm. um and then you're scheduling like you're you're at that level you have that artist overseas so you're dealing with crazy time zones and getting these things scheduled to where there's no cracks in there where they're missing the interviews because you're off an hour so a lot of that like that mind share comes into play yeah you know very cool. So it's a sliding, at the end of the day, it's a sliding spectrum sure. based on what we think the time consumption is going to be. Okay. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing all this. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been really great and uh, loved having a chance to sit down and talk with you and uh, just really appreciate it and hope you have a lot of success and that this company goes on for years and years because you've oh, only been around you. for three almost three we're, years now we're on our fourth year okay going on yeah. fourth year now um so you're just off and running and hope you have a lot of success yeah and we're growing year over year so hopefully great. it just continues on that that path awesome and uh i feel like we only cracked the surface so if you want to do it again we'll do it again absolutely yeah we'll we'll plan on plan on doing that so cool. awesome have a great day i appreciate all it right. thank you all right guys there you have it i hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today i hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. And please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry. <laughs>